What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. baby hello my love uh ready for another day of podcasting oh wait let me just tilt my camera down I know, so I, that I, I, patrons I, can see my face yeah, yeah. hi if you want to see Bridie's beautiful face. face both sides you can go to patreon.com slash jeremy on and support the which podcast. profile what 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 which side is better Okay, that's your right side, I think, and this is your left side. Um, I think your left side is better. Better? Yep. Okay. You asked. No, no, that's great. All right, how about my turn? Okay. Mm -hmm, That's your left side. Mm -hmm. And that's your right side. Let's do that one more time, please. I think your left... I think think your right side... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> For those of you who aren't patrons and aren't watching this, um, Jeremy is voguing. Showing my voguing skills. I've been watching really a lot of Legendary, skills. and uh, God damn it, that show is good. Fuck, I love I Legendary. 
I flicked it on for like a half a second, but didn't really get to the part oh. that I think you're excited about. Oh, it's so good. So you want to mm-hmm. be a legend, a statement, a star. <laughs> let's Debbie, let's Debbie. And this is the point of the intro where we pause for a dance break. Um, uh, you know what I do, I do love that show and here's why, here's why I love legendary. And if you haven't been watching it, folks, if you don't know what it is, it is a show that is, it's a, it's a show that highlights and showcases ballroom. Um, but it's like, it's a competition show. So it's like, it's these, it's these different houses in the ballroom scene that are Mm. showing up to try to win the legendary status and uh you know a prize of a hundred thousand dollars and um like i hate to say it's like the, it's similar to american idol in terms of like the the, the setup of the show but like that's kind of what it is it's like a competition talent show um now are th- so are these people when you say ballroom when you say ballroom do you mean like the umbrella term for like salsa dancing no and, no no, um, no 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 oh. no no no, ballroom is ballroom so, is <clears throat> ballroom is salsa dancing is not ballroom dancing either. Uh, it's called ball ball culture or drag ball culture, the house mm. ballroom community. <clears throat> okay. Ballroom is a scene, uh, a cultural scene, primarily in the LGBTQ uh, plus community. Uh, it's a subculture that originated in in New York, and it's. It's the performance of Vogue. It's like it is mm. voguing. It is there. I mean, <clears throat> look, I'm I'm probably I'm probably I'm speaking out of turn. I'm a fucking cisgender white guy. I don't know that much about anything. So I'm sure someone's listening going, no, you're fucking butchering this. So if I am, please write us, turn me on podcast at gmail.com. But um it's it's like it's basically a series of 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 there's there's a series of um types of performances that can happen within within ballroom right so like it's all um there's like you have you have duck walks which is like when they get down on their knees or they're on their on their balls of their feet but their knees are bent and they're like bouncing while voguing yeah. doing cool things there's drops right so you've seen drops where it's like while voguing they just slam their body off the ground and it's like really yeah. fantastic and like um harrowing way um, and then there's, there's like catwalk, which is just like simply just like, like walking down the catwalk. Stratton. Yeah. Strutting your mm-hmm. shit. There's like the face category. So you're literally just selling the features. Your own face? Of your own face to the judges. Like, With facial it, expressions? Yes. Like blue steel? <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Kind of like that. But, but, but really there's not a lot. Well, you know what? They make it look so easy that it looks like there's not a lot that they have to do because they the people who who step up to 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 compete in the face category, they are gorgeous. Like their faces are chiseled. They've got these high cheekbones. That's like very like perfect fucking skin. It, like it's it's <laughs> it's very like it's 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 so vain. It's so vain. I love it. Do they wear makeup? Like, do they wear like face paint or just like regular? Um, no, I mean, not, not typically, but, but so, so in the show legendary every week is a different theme. So like last week's theme was like, uh, it was, um, uh, opulence, I think. And so like people are coming out in these very extravagant, um, costumes and sometimes the costumes will incorporate 
you know, if Basically, it's like some sort yeah. of fantastical thing, like they'll, they'll have, they'll, the, like, I'm talking major, major makeup work, like, like high right. effects kind of stuff. It's really cool. Got it. Okay. Um, what are the categories? There's body. Body is like just coming out and basically strutting your stuff with your body. So oftentimes it's like, it's folks that are, you know, really, really like beautifully chiseled men with like unbelievable physique <clears throat> or it's, um, or it's, you know, uh, a woman, uh, a, a woman with like very voluptuous, features so like there's a house mother that won a body competition this year in season two and she basically just came out wearing a completely sheer skin tight um dress that and she is a she is a very voluptuous woman and like her pussy was out she was just shaking her ass like it and it was like like the guest judges were just floored Uh, yeah it's anyway it's so all that to sounds say, awesome. Yeah, it's really fun. But also, it's this beautiful view into this subculture that is that is like you know I I think very important and has a, and is very like deeply steeped in history and um <clears throat> and also to see the ways of how ballroom culture has seeped into like the the everyday vernacular of like of mm. of how people speak and interact is kind of huge oh, you know it's like it's very um anyway i i highly suggest uh, geez, i just fucking spent 15 minutes just talking about <laughs> fucking legendary. well That's you know we're here it. to learn and uh happy pride so um, yeah yeah happy pride That's right. yeah um well well well, well, I don't well, have any. Well. I don't have a segue from voguing. I don't. I mean, why don't you? Why don't you? Uh, why don't you give us your best vogue and then uh, and and then go right on into the next segment? Well, Brian, I, I you have, have to watching... watch. You have to watch it. You have to. Watch I will. I love show. dance, so I feel like you know. Start with season and two. I, love... I would say start with season two. Season one was great, but season two is like it is next level. Okay, they're fucking killing okay. it. Also, I, I'm I'm also madly in love with all four judges, but. In particular, I have a massive crush on Jamila Jamil and Megan Thee Stallion. Okay. And the host of the show, Deshaun Wesley, I also have a massive crush on him. Yeah. And I would let him marry me if he asked. <laughs> he actually reposted a story I put up the other day, and I like, I fucking freaked. I freaked. What? That's cool. I know. Like a Twitter thing? Is this a no, social, no, like it was an Instagram story I put up of him and Megan The Stallion. Just was you know just sending their sending praise their way, and he he re, he re, reposted it. Oh, well, I love that. I, you no know what? Deal. I'm really I think anything that like celebrates movement is totally <clears throat> all right with me because I think we were born in these bodies to move them around yeah look at look at your look at the hair on those armpits brad you're really you're really letting it rocking it out how's that feel oh yeah you could braid that that. for like a couple years i guess it's just uh i guess just the the way your camera's blown out and then yeah the d d, have you been have you been dying it black no it's just black (laughs) 
I'm just black and I, I have more in the pit. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's it kind of grows funny. Like all of my my um my leg hair grows really funny too. Cool. Uh, back into shaving <clears throat> the legs again now that we've got some. I don't even wear shorts or skirts. I don't know why I'm shaving my legs. Honestly. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, speaking of shaving your legs, <laughs> I found a way to segue. Nice. Um, while I was preparing my voice for today's recording, I was singing a little Phoebe Bridgers. <laughs> and um, also somebody that I would uh, instantly just drop everything and marry. Well, did you know? <sighs> uh, okay, so first of all, here's where my brain made the link with shaving my legs. So basically today I was poking around on this YouTube channel called It's Blitz. And this is, she's, It's Blitz has 713,000 subscribers. And uh, seven months ago, they posted a video with Phoebe Bridgers. And it's called, the title of the video is called ASMR Massage. And so basically she's massaging Phoebe Bridgers while she's, talking about it and Phoebe's not talking, but the host of this YouTube channel is doing ASMR while she's massaging Phoebe. What? Um, yeah, because, <clears throat> because in a pitchfork, uh, article, pitchfork magazine article, Phoebe Bridgers said, um, on the 10 things that influenced her new album Punisher, um, this channel was one of them and ASMR. Um, really? as well as lots of other cool things. Yeah. And I thought I wanted to share that with you because I know you love Fever Bridgers and I know you don't like ASMR. I so don't like do ASMR and I, and I love <laughs> Punisher and I don't, I don't see, I don't see the, I don't get the, the reference in there. I don't see the inspiration. I mean, there is that moment in, in the, in the final song there where it like crescendos and everything goes crazy and she's like screaming and then, the music ends and she's just going, ah, ah, ah. Right. Maybe that's a nod well, to ASMR. I don't get the, I don't get how it's. I'll, I'll tell oh, you what she makes said. makes my neck hurt already. This already makes Okay, I'll hurt. tell you, I'll tell you what she said. <clears throat> she said, um, um, she, so she says, I have been watching ASMR videos since I was a teenager before hmm. they were all that. They were called whisper videos back then. Um, she was doing a paper, she stumbled upon it, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, and then she stumbled across it's blitz, this host, uh, who she calls a hipster wellness, witch, who's a vlogger who also does ASMR videos and, um, and they live really close together. So she, so Phoebe mentioned this in Pitchfork and that's how she ended up on this, on this, uh, what's her name again? On this, the it's blitz, I T S B L I. T Z Z Z. But this is the other thing that, that Phoebe Bridger said, and I think this will help you out, babe. I all, she says, I also really like Billie Eilish and she incorporates a lot of very weird ASMR sounds into her music. So you like say Billie Eilish? Lighting. Isn't that how you say her name? How old are you? Well, what the <clears throat> fuck? What is it? Billie Eilish. Oh, whatever. Like lighting a mat. I was in the middle of a fucking point. You had to interrupt me for that? Sorry, oh. sorry. Keep going. You're good. You're good. No. My bad. Oh, come on. This is the beginning of my movement of not finishing my thought. Don't I'm... be like that. Okay. So, um, so 
Billie Eilish, and she incorporates a lot of very weird ASMR sounds into her music, like lighting a match for a snare sound. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I get that. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I'm looking at this video of... of uh, Phoebe? <sighs> Man, I don't know yeah. if I can watch this. This is too... This is erotica. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, it essentially said... One of the comments said something like, how did, how did they know that all, all Phoebe Bridgers fans just wanted to watch her hair get stroked? That I, I, that's, I started the video. That's the first thing that happened. And I was like, no, not right now. You got to turn this off. <laughs> this is for later. This is for not for now. private time, not on camera. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. This is uh, wow. It's blitz. Maybe I am going to get into ASMR. This looks kind of cool. And you can see one of the top videos there on the on its Blitz main page is um, ASMR of her shaving her legs. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's how it all ties. Well, I, it's I, interesting. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw that record on when I get home today and see if I can hear anything that sticks out. Anything different in terms of well, the way that we're like, where where are those sounds coming from? You know. Do you want to know what her? I mean, not that this is the subject of our podcast today, but. On this Pitchfork article, just quickly, I won't go into um, all the things, but she also credits um, Al-Anon. Um, it's a support group mm-hmm. for people affected by other people's alcohol- alcoholism. Um, that's, so that's, a, that's an influence in her album. Um, uh, Harry Potter, A History of Magic exhibit at the British Library. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Choking on chocolate. <coughs> uh, Fleabag. The TV show. Um, Still haven't watched it. Heard my things. favorite murder podcast. <sighs> it would um, be cool if she said "turn me on" podcast. You know, right? Maybe we need to. Uh, we need to get in there. Learn ASMR, Brady, quick. <coughs> what <clears throat> I said. Learn ASMR quick. <coughs> learn it. Never mind. Isn't it just whispering? Um, all right. Well, uh, did you, you had something else you wanted to talk about? Did you? Did you not? Or, um, well, I mean, not if you have something natural to flow into, because I, I just kind of googled what's what's the news and in, in relation to the world of sexuality today, and oh, found one interesting headline that I would share. Share it, and then I you can. Uh, share it? Yeah, I got something that, but we can talk about it next week. <clears throat> all right. Well, I mean, it's not like great news, but the the <clears throat> the headline is is uh, pervasive but unfounded stereotypes falsely link women's self esteem to their sex lives. <clears throat> so Sorry, basically, the so study. Can you say that one more time? Yeah, pervasive but unfounded stereotype falsely link women's self esteem to their sex lives. Okay. So basically, um, basically this study was held and, um, what they, what they noticed was that although, um, that although people didn't associate their own self-esteem with their, their sex, uh, like frequency of, of time they're having sex, they judged, um, fictional characters, women who had casual sex, um, were were judged as having lower self esteem. Um, <clears throat> Women who had more casual sex were, were yeah. So participants were asked <clears throat> to 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 
share whether they thought <clears throat> women who had casual sex uh, had lower self-esteem or uh, higher self-esteem. Okay. And almost 99% of, of participants um, judged a woman as having lower self-esteem if she had many sexual partners. Huh. And almost nobody thought that about about men. That's so interesting because I I'm I'm like I'm trying to think of in in you know tr- in fictional media characters that like had lots of sex. That, I don't know why, but the only person that comes to mind is um, what's her name from Sex in the City. Um, oh yeah, Samantha. Uh, <clears throat> what is her actual name? The actor Kim um, Cattrall. Cattrall, yeah. Uh, who flirted with me once? I just just gonna put that out there. Um, uh, she, she her character was very confident. It seemed I never watched the show, mm-hmm. but that's what I took. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I came across another headline. I don't have it right in front of me, but it 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 gave me the impression that um, the studies that were being done on whether po- sex in pop culture was affecting people's sex lives, hmm. um, specifically around like. Now that we see more sex toys in pop culture, are people buying more sex toys? And I think the study was, yeah, I think the study of like people 30 and older was that no, actually there's been no change, even Mm. though it's gotten so popular. 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 Um, yeah. So the, the, the bad thing, the, the crappy thing about this news, um, regarding our, uh, how people perceive our self-esteem is that people perceived to have low self-esteem are less likely to be hired for jobs, voted into po- political office or sought as friends or romantic partners. Yeah. So, you know, even when it's not it, tied, even confidence, when it doesn't affect their self-esteem. It's so wild, like how, how much confidence can change the way that people interact and view and see a person, you know, like there, but the study is saying that even if I'm looking at a woman who's super confident, but I know she sleeps around, I'm going to judge her to have lower self-esteem. Oh, oh, whoa. Okay. Whoa. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking, that's, that's so, that's so the opposite of, that's so I that's so the opposite of what I think. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like that's so that that goes that that goes against yeah. I would imagine someone who's having a very active and healthy sex life is booming with confidence. Right. But I don't think you should assume either way, really. Yeah, no. You yeah, you're right. It. You're right. I I I may I shouldn't say I I would assume. I think I I would I think my mind would easily, more easily fall to that side than the other. Mm. You know? Yeah, we we hope so. But that's the thing about stereotypes is a lot of the time they just, they're happening unconsciously. You know, that's why people answered the, whatever, whatever the questions were in the study for this. That's why people's answers were so contradictory. Mm. Because we just have, we hold these filters that we don't even realize. Maybe I think that way too because I have like a bit of a fucked up. I think I have a. I think I have a personally a bit of a fucked up like uh, history with sex and confidence and like 
a lot of my self-esteem is to uh, uh, in the past, a lot of my self-esteem was tied to the amount of sex I was having. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that I, I'm, I, I can only imagine that that plays a role in the way Another that I th- feel about that. Yeah. That, that, that's a good point. And then, and then another thing that comes to mind when I read this is that, that, you know, just sort of the culture of, of turning women against other women. And so we can, we Mm. can believe that a woman should have the right to sleep with anyone and whoever they want, Mm. but we still have these sort of ingrained uh, things that we've uh, like, I don't know if you can even understand this and to an inkling having never been been socialized as a woman but the and and we could dig about this for we could dig into this for a whole a whole episode on on turn me on but this this sort of social training that women other women or so women who are social people who are socialized as women are are kind of a bit of an enemy um our Mm. competition Um, and we, we've been sort of taught different sort of self, sort of sabotaging ways to sabotage each other, even if, if it's just in our own, the way we judge people, um, other, other, other women. So, so yeah, I wonder if there's, there's some of that, but what, like what, it's funny that you just brought that up because it reminds me of something that I heard the other day in conversation where in this conversation something was said and and the thought that came to my mind was wow that was that's really uh I don't know if I should say that. I feel like I'm going to say this and people are going to hear it the wrong way or take it the wrong way like I'm I don't mean this in any sort of misogynistic viewpoint whatsoever but the this and I don't want to say what the scenario I was in because it's mm-hmm. it's just it's I I want to respect yes yeah, too personal so uh, um <clears throat> somebody said something and I, I remember thinking to myself, wow, that seems like such a, this seems very much like a scenario where it's just women being judgy towards one another for reasons that, for, for no reason whatsoever. Like, it was so outside of like, like, I, I remember having, uh, I'm, I'm not, this is really hard to fucking do without saying what happened. Um. I remember just thinking one pause, to my, one quick pause. It's eleven eleven. I just wanted to tell you I love you. Oh, I love you too. Um, okay. One thing that was said was uh, one thing that was said made me think. Hmm, that's so unlike this person, mm. who I know to be very sweet and very like compassionate and empathetic. <clears throat> and. And I thought, why, why are they, why are they like this? Like, why are they acting like this towards this other person? Mm. And, and that was a part of the discussion. And, and there was like, oh, they like, maybe they're jealous or maybe they, ha- they, they feel like a bit insecure about this person for, but like, none of that really made sense. And I was like, is this, is this liter- is this actually just like one woman hating on another woman because they don't know each other that well. And like, there's some sort of competitive shit going on underneath this Mm -hmm. sort of like in line with what you were just talking about there. And, and it made me wonder like, what could you say to someone in that kind of scenario to help unlearn that conditioning? Mm -hmm. If that's, if that's what it is, if that's what it's been. 
You know, I really, I don't know. I, I really feel like it's on us, people who identify as women, to call out that shit when we see it. It's mm. you, I don't think you can. Because unfortunately, whether misogynistically or not, you have to say, well, I'm, you know, who, I'm not a social researcher, so I don't yeah, know, yeah. but the question I would, that comes to mind for me is who benefits from women treating each other like this? Right. And it's everybody who's trying to sell something to us to make us compete at a different level. Mm-hmm. It's everyone <clears throat> and everything that insists that we, we be a good wife and be a good mother and have an awesome career and, you know, everything that's who benefits and how does, how does it support the existing systems to continue Mm. to exploit people? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of that is tied. Well, unfortunately, but, but you know, for important reasons, I guess. And a lot of that comes from seeing what we built as a really misogynistic, world for the rest of us to fit into just because of who got to design it yep and the systems so so <coughs> so that's why i think you can't be the one to to point that out let me but, mansplain here why you are being <laughs> such a bitch <laughs> <laughs> but if it's somebody you care about you could and i i would you know it's fucking hard when you know i've i had that recently happen with a a male friend of mine call me on some behavior that he thought that I should change because he didn't, he thought it was, you know, not, but that was rude essentially on that. It was, it was probably affecting my relationships with other people. And so, and I, you know, at first I was just like, you're a man. You can't tell me about me. Um, but I, but also like, if you really love this person and you can really talk to them as a friend and say, and ask them about why they feel that way and sort of just investigate in a mm. curious way without having a, a motive of like, then I'm going to teach you something, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but just ask the questions. <coughs> I feel like that's the most effective way of teaching people is letting them sort of look at asking them the questions that they can think yeah. about it yeah. and come to their own sort of conclusions. Yeah. Because ultimately, think, whatever you think is right could also be fucking wrong. Wrong. So. Yeah, exactly. I uh, I should also say, I just want to clarify that uh, I it, it wasn't Leah that I was talking about. I'm sure she, if she listens to this, she's going to be like, people are going to obviously think that you're talking about me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not talking about Leah. It's uh, the friend, a friend of a friend. Yeah, you got lots of good girlfriends. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's move into today's recording. Um, this, is, this was a really cool chat. Uh, yeah. But, uh, Brie Mills <laughs> is uh, is a powerhouse in the world of pornography. Um, Bride, give a give a little uh, intro to Brie Mills here. Um, <laughs> you fucker! So, <laughs> uh, Brie Mills uh, uh, is an award winning adult film uh, producer, director, writer, uh, and heck, she's even acted in some of her own films. Um, Absolutely. But but she's kind of set herself apart from the rest because her films are 
Her films are not only films that you can watch and jerk off to, uh, but they're also <laughs> films that you could watch and just not jerk off to and watch for the thrill of the actual story that's happening in the film. Um, mm. One of the cool things that she talks about is is taking two separate types of cuts of her films, one that is the erotic X-rated version and then one that is actually just an R-rated version that could actually stream and play anywhere. Um, mm. And uh, she really she really focuses on the performance of her actors in this very unique and, and cool way. So anybody who's a, a film buff or, or a performer of any sort, <clears throat> I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation that we have with Brie Mills. Um, <clears throat> Love a good film. Love a good film that just stands up as a film, whether it's porn or horror or... That's a great. combination of both. <laughs> or horror porn. Um, <laughs> all right, folks, we'll enjoy this conversation with uh, our guest, Bree Mills. And um, as always, we love you all, and we will see you on the other side. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, uh, yeah, who's your father? Um, uh, well, Bree, I'm excited to sit down and, and kind of dig into uh, everything that is your life. Um, sure. uh, you are an award-winning film director, writer, and producer for Gamma Entertainment and a chief creative officer at Adult Time, um, which I think, I think well, I don't know about you, Bridie, but I would like to start with that, a chief creative officer. Uh, break down that role uh, because it sounds important and also <laughs> sounds kind of fun. Um, what uh, I mean, I guess I guess w w how we can sort of set this up is how did you how did you end up where you are today? How did you go from a young Bree Mills growing mm -hmm. up in uh, growing up parting spending part of your time growing up in Canada to mm -hmm. now uh, being the the chief, uh, creative chief creative I officer. I just feel like that's a job I might want of yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. Of anything really. All right. Well, okay. I will be very happy to explain the, um, the long and twisted path uh, mm -hmm. to, to, to hitting <laughs> such a position. Um, so I did, uh, uh, as we mentioned, just at the top of this, I um, was born uh, in Boston, but I really spent most of my life in Canada. I grew up in Canada um, and all uh, all while I was growing up, I was very protective of my, you know, American patriotic status. And I always said, I'm, I'm going to move back to the States. And no, I, I'm really an American. I just live here in Canada. And then when I ended up uh, actually moving back to the States is when I really realized truly how Canadian I am. <laughs> so now I, I will, you know, say to anybody at any time, usually within 20 minutes of, of any, any event, that hi, I'm I'm from Canada and, and I'm going to talk <laughs> healthcare or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I did grow up in Canada, uh, and um, you know I ended up getting into the adult industry. Um, it, it wasn't necessarily what I had put in my yearbook as being what I would aspire to to be in the future. Um, uh, but when I look back on my life and career, I can I can see how how it ended up. Uh, uh, going in this direction. Mm. Um, you know, I, uh, 
was, uh, I am the child of, of an academic family. My father's a university professor. My mother's a author. So I was always really um, surrounded by pop culture and literature and film and constructive criticism and theories and hypothesis growing up. Uh, so I had a lot of um, a lot of source material uh, that uh, you know uh, it kind of consumed my life. Um, you know, spent probably the first half of my twenties trying to watch every film I possibly could. Um, you know, and uh, uh, my first uh, my first few jobs were were working you know with within a secondhand bookstore and then becoming uh, an eBay market seller in the early days of e-commerce. And you know, like a lot of people who have come from a general arts background. Um, I ended up going into marketing, evil marketing uh, and branding and communication. So I worked um, uh, within, uh, you know, because I kind of graduated from high school and went into, uh, you know, uh, university and, and my first few um, jobs uh, right at the beginning of the 2000s. It was kind of, you know, when everybody was getting online. And and so, um, you know, I worked in uh, entertainment uh, retail. So I was the marketing manager for tower.com, which is like the, you know, now sadly defunct tower records uh, chain. Mm -hmm. uh, and then one day I got headhunted by the folks at Gamma Entertainment. It was, I think, 2008, 2009. And um, it, when they called me, it was right after the big financial collapse. And so I remember kind of thinking I was living in Montreal at the time. And I got this call and they're like, you know, by the way, it's, you know, it's a marketing position. It's really interesting. It sounded like a really cool company. And they kind of dropped at the end. We are working within adult entertainment. And I kind of thought, well, that'll be recession proof, right? You know, like, yeah, uh, totally. you know, what, what's going to survive the financial collapse? Well, probably porn will be okay. So I'm open-minded. I remember <laughs> right. thinking, you know, I grew up in this liberal family, you know, I'll be fine. Um, and so I started working for them and I was working as uh, like one of their first marketing positions, because at the time it was a pretty small team. And uh, Gamma Entertainment was um, kind of on the other side of porn. Porn has sort of two universes that are intersecting. There's like all of the production. Um, so the studios, the you know uh, performers who are also content creators, everything that goes into creating the content, creating the brands within adults mm -hmm. um, and the IP, I guess that gets Kind of created and then there's the whole web technology side of porn right and gamma its roots really come from the web technology side so for you know the first good number of years of of the company's life and they've we've now been in business for over 20 years uh it was really rooted in well we're going to build websites and serve subscription um business models to partner with the people that shoot the content and we'll be the ones that you know, uh, run your website, run your website mm -hmm. and all the, all the marketing activities that go into running a website from, you know, uh, customer support to, you know, email marketing or, you know, other forms of online marketing. So that was really, um, Gamma's, uh, main business model for a really long time. And so I came in and it ended up being the great, kind of the greatest porn university you could go to <laughs> because we, uh, happened to partner with, you know, pretty big, big brands, big names, uh, companies that have been around for a long time um, that had, uh, you know, um, had really deep roots in the industry. So I got a, a chance to work on a lot of other people's content, you know, just promoting it, um, you know, helping to put it together, helping to run these websites. 
And um, for me, kind of having a marketing background, I found the consumption of adult content to be really fascinating. Right. Um, so I wasn't necessarily a porn connoisseur. <laughs> I, I mean, for me, like I re- porn to me was scrambled pay-per-view stuff that, you know, you could maybe see, maybe see someone's breast. If you tell like. me about it. I know, yeah. I know all about what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, you know, it, it, for that was, or it was like, you know, your friend's older brother has a magazine yeah. under his bed, you know, like, yeah. so when I got hired, I had probably to, in all honesty, I had probably downloaded one, two minute, you know, lesbian clip at some point several years earlier that I remember when I downloaded the file was um, it was corrupt and it was upside down. Like everything was inverted. (laughs) So I had to turn my computer over just to watch it. So like that to me was my porn experience. Right. Mm. And uh, so I kind of thought, Oh, I went into it and, and I didn't really know what I was getting into. You know, I didn't realize how big it was, how many people, were, you know, watching content online, how many people were paying for subscription sites to, you know, to support their favorite mm-hmm. brands or their favorite directors, their favorite stars, and how each brand had its own community, its own subculture, you know, of fans. And I just found that fascinating. Um, and so, you know, when I say I went to porn university, I got, you know, sort of to spend my first few years really absorbing myself in all of these other brands worlds and their fans and what was important to them, what they liked, what they didn't like. And um, what I took away from that was that it's never the macro, you know, people aren't, aren't interested in broad strokes. Everybody has their kink. Everybody has their thing, their moment that they're waiting to see. We used to call it the boner moment <laughs> back at, at, at Gamma, you know, what is going to be that one thing that's going to turn you on and how unique that is to every individual. Mm. And, you know, how certain brands can kind of cultivate people who have similar interests. But again, those interests are never usually what you think. They're, they're usually much more nuanced or like they're connected to deeper psychological things. Anyway, I found mm. the whole thing fascinating um, and, you know, was quite content for a good number of years, you know, helping to work on other people's campaigns and do various other things for, for Gamma as a company. Um, but at a certain point in uh, maybe 2013, uh, our president started to look at, well, what if we tried to make our own asset? You know, we'd always partnered with other, um, you know, content producers. They own the content. We run the website, always, you know, division of church and state. But, you know, when you're looking at, you know, the difference between having, you know, a partnership business or building your own assets, I mean, it's kind of a no brainer. You want to build your own assets. Yeah, of so. Course. He was, you know, kind of curious and had been looking a little bit into some things that we could do. And we had made our first um, acquisition. We had bought a, a, a series of m- massage porn sites, which um, at the time was really, really, really popular. It's still popular, <laughs> but it was really popular back in t- like 2012. And we bought these porn sites and we kind of figured, okay, well, we, we buy them, we ingest them into our ecosystem and hey we still have those producers that are shooting the content so it's like plug and play right it's easy mm. and then we started to see the sales going down it's like, what's happening and of course what was happening was like the previous owner had been the cr- content creator you know yes he had had some third party producers shooting content but like there was a there was a voice behind the content you know there was mm. somebody who was kind of caring to make something really good 
And when you take that away and you just put porn on autopilot, I mean, that's when porn becomes not worth paying for, right? That's when it becomes the same old white couch that you can see on tube sites. And, you know, nobody, you know, it it becomes, um, uh, you know, uh, what's a, a good word for it? It becomes disposable. Right. Mm. And so, you know, we were wondering, like, why isn't that this, why didn't this acquisition work? And so our, our, our president said, well, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to step in and oversee that production it wasn't his thing. So he said, you know, do you think it would be interesting for you to try it? And I was, you know, quite adamant about wanting to do it. <laughs> I'd never been on a porn set before. Like I said, my, my personal consumption experience was pretty limited. Um, but I love a challenge and I thought it was fun and I can write and I have and a good imagination. So. And you have a theater background as well, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have, I did a lot of theater growing up. So, you know, it's, um, it was never a professional theater career, but I, I did, uh, 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 was in productions, you know, all growing up. Um, and again, very, I always loved, um, writing. I always loved writing for theater. I loved directing. Mm. I'm a type A personality. So (laughs) I have an idea. I'll put anyone in a room and be happy to run the show. So I, uh, I kind of jumped on that chance and I went into it totally blind, like no idea, no idea what I was doing, but it sounded interesting. And I I started to connect with a few up and coming uh, people here in Los Angeles who had been in the industry for a long time as, you know, camera people, as photographers, and they were trying to make their break over into directing. And oftentimes in our industry, it's kind of like that, you know, you don't usually get people coming in from outside as directors. It's usually people that kind of graduate through the ranks of production Mm. and end up, you know, uh, being in a producer director position. So, you know, I connected uh, with a few of these folks and um, started to work with them to produce content. And what I noticed about these massage sites that we had purchased was, you know, I just did what any marketer would do. You go and just talk to the customers, right? It's like marketing 101. And I realized, especially uh, within the fans of the uh, lesbian series that, that they had, that they were very, like, they were super loyal. They were basically saying, like, we want to give you our money. Just please make something good. And what, what I realized is that for them, it wasn't the sex. It was all of the buildup, it was the characters, it was the backstory, it was like long, sorted emotional histories. It was all of this context. And that's what I like writing, you know, like I'm a pretty lousy pornographer and and I'm happy to admit that because for me, the sex is kind of like, if we've done our job, we've got the characters to that moment in time and then, you know, then they fuck and and it's all all in character and then it, it works, right? But for me, it's the story that I love. And, and um, so, you know, I just kind of went to town and started basically making soap operas within this, uh, within this one lesbian series. And we saw it really turn around. And it was, you know, again, interacting directly with the customers, making, you know, making myself a presence known to them that they could talk to uh, and having a lifeline, you know, somebody who cared as much as them to make the product better and then really working pretty collaboratively to make it better. And that was that was really the first thing that um, that sort of set the course of the rest of the journey because that experience gave me the confidence to go back to Gamma's owners and to say I think we should do a whole uh, lesbian um, subscription network mm. and um, 
at the time, this was something that really did not exist. So you had a couple of, of brands that had been around for a long time, Girlfriend Films, which is a partner of ours, probably the best example, you know, really devoted girl, girl fan following. Um, but kind of a, 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 at least at the time, it was its own independent player. It wasn't part of a big network. It wasn't part of a big brand. And most of those big brands just treated lesbian content like an afterthought. It wasn't as lucrative as hardcore content. It, you know, um, it, it was something you maybe would tack on to the end of a production day. You just shoot a quick little scene. It was never anybody's focus, minus a couple of these kind of, uh, you know, more independent players. So I really saw an opportunity to take that same recipe we had developed, which was rooted in just, you know, collaboration with our audience and bring it to a, to a bigger scale. And so I started to work with uh, one of those, um, you know, uh, uh, people on the ground who I, who I had met to develop uh, Girls Way, which became our uh, lesbian studio that we introduced in 2014. And we were fortunate because when we launched it, it was right as lesbian was starting to become uber popular. And of course, mm. you know, over the last few years has been kind of the number one thing people are searching for on tube sites. And, um, and so that was, you know, kind of our first hit. It was my first hit building a, a studio or a brand concept. And, you know, again, we just took that spirit of, um, uh, you know, Easter eggs and recurring characters and multi-part stories and, features we did about like, I think I wrote something like eight eight movies in like two years or something nuts Whoa. we really went on steroids and we we created this mega brand that uh people called the marvel comics of lesbian porn which I've always <laughs> loved. that's pretty fucking cool and uh and you know and and you know by 2016 I was here and uh I ended up moving here I totally caught the directing bug I wanted to do it full time and um when I got here uh, I was so inspired by just what I felt that we could do from a production perspective mm -hmm. um, that it it led me to create my the next studio that we built called Pure Taboo. And I really wanted to do this for a few different reasons. I wanted to take all of those really popular, trendy taboo stories and what would happen if instead of making them jokes, which I saw, you know, everybody's really, you know, tee hee hee. My stepdad caught me masturbating. Isn't this funny? Well, it's not really very funny. If you, if you stop and look at the situation, it's actually pretty complicated. And when you go and you look at the history of taboo, uh, particularly taboo fiction, um, you know, again, they're not jokes. They're usually pretty multi-layered onions yeah. that have a lot of backstory and that are, mm. you know, emotional and raw and complicated. And so I thought, well, what if we just took these same stories, but we changed the tone and we told them seriously, what kind of impact could we have? Hmm. And also what I wanted to do was to really make it a social critique. I wanted to put, I wanted to kind of put the accountability back on the viewer so that, you know, while they were watching these episodes, that it made them think and that it made them emotionally affected. So when they walked away from it again, like I always say with pure taboo, you can love it or you can hate it, but you're never going to forget it. And that was really the goal. Could we make it very uh, gripping and arresting so that when you leave, you are going to be, you know, you're not, it's not going to leave you. You're going to, it's going to resonate with you. And I, when I started to do that, what I realized was, holy shit, there's so much talent within this industry when it comes to acting. 
that just never just never got tapped right because oh nobody actually watches for the acting or like oh they're not really very good actors well they are mm. it's really incredible what kind of talent we have in this industry especially if someone takes it seriously uh, so we started to just get these amazing performances coming out of our acting community and the pride that i saw you know people joined sag after working for for pure taboo for a while because they were just so inspired that i can go out and do it you know they would mm. include pure taboo in their reels that they would um you know uh, take to mainstream auditions like people the, within the performer community there was a real get behind this project because it was a way to uh show range in our industry mm. um not you know not just getting stuck in a washing machine or whatever you know the plot might be was <laughs> was uh, was perspective under under pure taboo yeah, so that yeah. that wasn't um, that that was to come, but I I uh, pure taboo was such a, a success for us in terms of a critical success and a commercial success that at that point, like the floodgates were open, and I had a million ideas for shows and a million ideas for films and series, but didn't have anywhere to put them because you know when you're dealing with these sort of rigid niche based studio sites, somebody's going to join whatever you know like. Uh, you know, uh, evilangel.com. They're going to mm -hmm. join evilangel.com and they're looking for a specific kind of content that that brand is associated with. So, you know, I had a few different pots I could play with. I could shoot some different kinds of lesbian content in girls way, but it was still pretty rooted in this formula. Mm. Same thing with pure taboo, you know, same thing with other brands that we've uh, acquired and built over the years, but I didn't have this sort of catch all spot that I could do anything. And that was what, you know, I really wanted to do. So that was sort of my motivation behind pitching adult time as a, uh, as a streaming platform. Um, you know, for me as a creative, it would bring together all of our audiences in one, you know, giant Petri dish and with the right mix of, of access to that, that viewing data and those um, kind of lines of communication that we built with our audiences over the years, could we use that to start any number of different kinds of projects. And maybe some of them aren't going to last more than a couple episodes, but you can have the freedom to do that. So once we had adult time, which, you know, thankfully that was a good gamble because it was definitely a, it was definitely a gamble taking all of our islands and making it one big island. Um, but it has been our, our greatest success to this date mm. uh, and is now definitely our, our most sort of successful brand and um, has given a platform for <laughs> creatives like me to make movies like Perspective, which was yeah. one of the movies that I made uh, after we launched the platform. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Yeah, per- cool. perspective. So I, I, um, I before we started recording this morning, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't even know who we were recording with. Bridey, Bridey, like texted me a little, like, oh, by the way, <laughs> here's what we're doing, and I, I was like, oh, I should, I should like look up uh, what's what's Bree up to, and I saw a perspective on on uh, on the Adult Time website, and I was like, oh shit, I've seen this. Mm-hmm. I saw it like a year and a half ago, and. Is it Angela White? Is that yeah. the actress? Yeah, right. So I, I remember watching that and it was, <clears throat> it was, it was one of the first times that I watched, um, it was one of the first times that I watched a porn where I was like gripped by, like totally enthralled by the story. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it, and it, 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 so, and hearing you talk about this now, I know that I know that um, based on what you've said, like, you know, you you haven't really ever been uh, one to create content that is just that disposable sort of like pizza guy shows up. Mm-hmm. Hey, who ordered like pepperoni pizza with extra sausage, like that kind yeah. of shit. Um, when you when you <laughs> when you like brought this to the table um, or any project like this where the actors have this opportunity to like fucking sink their teeth into a story that is raw, emotional, like, you know, where they need to tap into true skill to like pull mm-hmm. this off. What were the conversations like with the, with the, with the talent? Like, were they, is it like, you know, for perspective, like was, was Angela White, were they are, like, were they, was this the kind of thing where they were like, thank fuck. Like the, I've, I've been <laughs> wanting this forever. Yeah. Or, or was it, was it kind of, kind of like a novel newer thing where they were just really excited about the opportunity mm-hmm. to kind of like, just, uh, yeah, just kind of flex in a different muscle. Because again, like, I feel like, I feel like this, this transition into, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like this seems newer. This seems like mm-hmm. a newer form of creative expression in the world of adult entertainment, is mm-hmm. it not? It's definitely, um, I wouldn't say that it's it's completely unique in time, but it is certainly making a resurgence in the last few years. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think there's, you know, there's pretty clear reasons as to why. Um, so to go back to your question, uh, you know, and I guess this is a good segue to explain, you know, kind of how I became chief creative officer. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You know, I was I was lucky to to have, you know, had a few successes under my belt in terms of Girls Way, Pure Taboo, um, Adult Time, 
And then adult time did become a, a space for me just to be a creative. Um, so I was able to create, uh, you know, Transfixed is a series I created uh, on there. Um, um, the films that I've done, um, uh, some docu-series that I'm really proud of. So uh, within that, I, 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 I've been blessed to have the autonomy to kind of do what I want, you know, like I don't have to get a lot of approval for a project. And that maybe is at the end of the day, if you ask my colleagues what chief creative officer means on a day to day, I set the vision and the strategy for, for the platform, for the brand. And I'm pretty, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm pretty close to our content and marketing leadership and, and their job is to have to deal with me and my, and my constant nitpicking to kind of get us back to that vision and to that, uh, and to that strategy. But, you know, then my side hustle is I get to, to still kind of come up with projects and, and direct stuff. Um, so perspective, I knew, um, uh, I knew I wanted to tell that story. It was a story that, uh, that had been brewing in my mind for a while. Uh, it, like most of my projects, it always stems from something within myself. I'm definitely someone who uses art as a therapeutic process. So most of the stuff that I've done, I could probably sit down with you guys over a couple of drinks and explain <laughs> what was really going on. Yeah, right. uh, but, you know, perspective was definitely representing um, uh, how I was processing a, a, a turbulent moment in my life. Mm. And, uh, and I, you know, in going through that experience myself, I really connected to Daniel's character in it. And when I, you know, was writing it, I started to kind of branch out and, you know, as I was, you know, again, processing my own shit, look at, well, you know, at the end of the day, your side of a story, even if you are absolutely dead fast, mm. that it is the truth, it's still only your truth. So there is no truth and there's always going to be a different perspective. And then when I started to kind of get on that trip, that train, I, I, I ended up developing the whole story, which is a story about the final days of a of a kind of very dysfunctional marriage, but it's told from each of mm -hmm. the uh, character's perspectives. And of course they are wildly different. Um, so I knew I wanted to tell that story and I knew I needed to, I had to get it out of my head. And I had already um, had a very good working relationship with both Angela and Seth Gamble who played Daniel. And so I knew like, again, most of my stuff, when I go into writing it, I, I'm writing it for somebody. I, I very rarely write something and then cast afterwards. Mm -hmm. I most always will try to uh, tap very specific people and then really build characters around them. Part of that is because a perspective, like almost all of the work I've done is um, improvised. So that film, there was no di there was no word for word dialogue script. No shit. I write a story and then I work with the actors to bring that story to life. So oh, yeah, that's so fun. Yeah, yeah, completely method acted, completely improvised acting. Um, and both Angela and Seth, you know, have worked with me on on a lot of those projects. So I knew I knew they could do it, mm. and I also wanted to create a vehicle for them to really show their range. Um, mm. and I kind of sat them down maybe six months before we filmed. I told them the story. I told them, you know, that, that I wanted them to play each character. Uh, and then, you know, in my mind, my goal was I wanted them both to win best actor and best actress for it. That was sort of my goal for that mm -hmm. project. And they did, which was mm -hmm. amazing. Um, and, uh, 
you know, they were so, I've never seen commitment like that from two performers. Now they're, they're the best of the best, the absolute, you know, top, top of the top. So, you know, that when they go into a project, they really are, they're not just showing up with a script on the day of, they really are going into it. And they worked with me for several months um, before the production, we held sessions where we just talked about the characters. Angela kept a diary, like a journal that she would write in, in the mindset of oh, Jennifer, wow. the character, yeah. which she kept and actually kept with her during the production. Um, you know, it, they both worked with uh, an, an acting coach leading up to it and did some joint sessions together. So they were like incredibly prepared um, for the story. The production was still like, you know, I don't, <laughs> it was still like a crazy, intense, long, you know, very emotional um, production. Uh, but at the end of it, you know, we, we, we uh, created a, an amazing film. We had a premiere for it in Hollywood, which was really special, mm. you know, uh, and uh, we created um, a full uh, R cut of it and an uncensored cut, which we offered in adult time. Uh, and that's actually something that I've been doing for all of my projects um, and and uh, uh, goes a little against the grain in terms of what a lot of companies do. But at the end of the day, the stories that we have are interesting. And the most important thing about the stories are the stories themselves. They just happen to have sex in them. So right. um, there's no reason why we can't offer a completely safe for work, you know, film that is no different than what you would see on Netflix or in the theaters for an R-rated film that we can create as well for um, people to watch and to be able to tackle subjects uh, related to sex and sexuality that, you know, a lot of people can't touch because of mainstream censorship and we can because sure, you know, right. we're not afraid to. So I haven't, sorry, go, go ahead, Brad. I haven't experienced one of these films yet, but I feel like that's the kind of thing um, that would stick like last with, with you, like it has Ooh. sticks around in your psyche. And when I think about sexuality and what it is to be a sexual being in the world or like why I might consume erotic literature or erotic video is because I want to, I want um, to be in touch with that part of myself. So then if I'm carrying this like story around with me that, that, you know, like, any other great film that that influences the way that I see the world and like has me connected to deep feelings of my own, I feel like that would bring that sensuality mm -hmm. and that sexuality into like my my daily existence and life in the way mm -hmm. that I I would hope mm -hmm. to be inspired um, well, by this content. Here's the thing. This is what you know. In my first few years of of being an outlier in porn and making porn. I was hell bent on like, can we prove that we can make, you know, films and series that could be on Netflix? That was my, my goal. You know, I'm going to, you know, can we uh, focus on the, on taking the acting seriously, on taking the, you know, the, the filmmaking seriously, on really trying to craft these mini movies. And as we released Adult Time and we began to see just how wide of an audience that we could touch and, and not just, you know, consumers or people that are watching the content, but even within the adult industry, you know, there are different performer communities that are underserved, that are marginalized, that have never had a beautiful series to showcase, you know, uh, themselves. And, and, and once we started to really kind of have the freedom to tackle all different kinds of content, that's when I realized, oh, wait a minute, you know, what we're doing hits on a much deeper level. And now what 
inspires all the work that I do, you know, as an individual creator within adult time, but also inspires a lot of the other creators that we work with and in our, our amazing in-house writing team and editing team is just that kind of that resp- social responsibility that comes from being, uh, from being, um, you know, porn creators. Cause let's face it, there is no, there is no kind of common standard for sex education in Western society. It's completely dependent on mm-hmm. your individual family background, your religious background, the school you go to, and what you discover on the internet, which let's face it, you know, as soon as you can type SEX into the computer, you're going to Pornhub, you're going to a tube site. So people's baseline education, while we're not accountable for creating that, we're not the sex educators of the world. We are, we are the baseline form of it. And so, you know, when that, that's not to say that we, you know, need to do a complete about shift and not have, you know, um, the kind of, you know, uh, typical fantasy fulfillment or, you know, uh, porn as, as pure entertainment, because it is, you know, it's kind of like saying video game companies, you know, should, you know, should stop doing um, uh, first person shooter games. Well, no, they're going to still do that, but there is an absolute need for balance because if that's just what people are seeing, then it will kind of, you know, lead to there being uh, an imbalance. And I, I see us in a very much the same way. So within the content we create, we need to know that that is being consumed by mass, mass numbers of people and that we can quite, you know, we can quite effectively and positively influence people's, you know, perceptions of sexuality, understanding of sex and sexuality, understanding of gender versus sexuality. We can talk about subjects that aren't being talked about Mm -hmm. because our community has already put ourselves out there. We're already stigmatized. We're already, you know, scapegoated because we're not afraid to express our our sexuality. So we can actually use that for good. Mm -hmm. And that's become a real um, pretty much the biggest motivator for myself personally is the content that I put out. Yes. It, it, it can and should be arousing and entertaining. I remind myself of that a lot, <laughs> but um, you know, my, my team does a good job of reminding me of that, uh, but uh, uh, you know um, we also kind of have this, this really unique ability to, to tell stories that might actually make someone's lives better. And we need to take care of that because otherwise, I mean, look, Look at what, you know, as our society has sort of gone headfirst into, you know, digital identity and digital culture, it, it's, a, it's a really dangerous ground when you don't, you know, when you don't um, talk about body image or, you know, um, female sexuality mm-hmm. or, you know, consent and the importance of bringing consent into your, into your uh, conversations, you know, and, and all of these things that, that are so, um, so fundamental to all of us, but because we don't talk about, we take for granted that they're going to be taken care of. And then you wonder why people are so fucked up. So, you know, for the other film that I put out, the year of perspective was a film called teenage lesbian. And I did that. I, it's a story based on my own uh, kind of coming out um, because I I was a a gay teenager in the second half of the nineties, which was really the last decade before gay rights became you know, a national conversation on the level that it is now. And so just even that as a time capsule project to, to remind people of, of, you know, how 20, 25 years ago, the world was so much different than it is now. And I just wanted to create a film that I wish I had seen 
when I was growing up. And you can't tell a film about sexual, uh, about sexuality without showing the sexuality. So, you know, being able to also do that was something that I found really important. And until YouTube pulled us down, our R-rated version had, I think, 12 million views on it. And so that to me is like, okay, those people, you know, and many of them were people like who had no idea that it was associated with adult because the R cut is just that it's no different than any other film. And to be able to know that we could have touched those lives, you know, until, you know, we got censored just because we're an adult company, but you know, it's, um, that to me is really, really meaningful. And it's really, really important and why I do what I do. Do you always uh, approach your films with this um, this sort of improv script based uh, performance? Yes, I love that. that that's so that's so fun. It, like mm-hmm. I I just I, how what's the process of you working with your actors on set? Like on mm-hmm. day of, you know, is it does it um, does it does it tend to make the process of making the film longer than what you think it might have been if? if it was more so like, here's your script, here are your lines, stick to the lines and let's get it shot. Um, sometimes uh, I, I, it, so I, I, when I, when I was doing girls way, the movies that I did for girls way, I wrote, you know, kind of traditional uh, dialogue scripts. Um, but once I had moved to LA and I started to work on pure taboo, which is a, a series, it's, it's effectiveness comes from its hyper-realism. So mm. when I, I remember the first episode we ever shot of that, I, tr- I wrote a script and then I got there and realized really quickly that we were not going to get the believability and the authenticity mm. from the story. If the actor was trying to read the canned lines that I had written in my office three weeks earlier or what have you, it just wasn't going to have that, wasn't going to convey that hyper-realism. And I have not written a, a dialogue script since then, and there are a lot of directors that do and will create really great work. Mm-hmm. But for me, um, when you want to, especially, you know, most of the actors in, um, in adult come from some, some trace of performing in their background. You know, some maybe did, did dance or musical theater or, you know, had been trying to be a mainstream actor, but everybody has different levels of experience. Mm. And so, you know, uh, it's much, I find it much more effective to be able to work with an actor, kind of get a sense to get to know who they are and then try to connect who they actually are <laughs> to this character that, um, that you want them to play. Mm-hmm. And so I'll always tell an actor, like if I'm working with somebody for the first time, they kind of will get into my mental Rolodex. I'll kind of almost <laughs> as an evil marketer, kind of observe and profile a little bit of like, who they are as people. And then if we had a, you know, a good time working together, the next time we work together, the character I'll give them will probably have a good few traces of who they actually are that they can then um, pull from so that I know it's going to help to kind of shift that character into a, you know, as authentic a a performance as possible. Um, But, you know, most of the people that I work with, and again, I'm blessed to be able to do this, I guess because of the title or whatever, Um, but I like to work with people that I know. So, Mm. you know, um, you know, the reason why I knew that Angela and Seth were going to give those performances was because, you know, we've all worked together a good number of times. So we have that dynamic down and at typical day for me, I like to write 
I don't always now, you know, now if I'm, if I'm producing something on behalf of our team, I'll, I'll take one of their stories, but most my, my comfort zone is to write my own projects and I'll, I'll write the story. And it's usually, if it's a, you know, single episode of something might be a two to three page treatment mm. and I'll write it. And usually when I write it, it's a mix between, um, you know, just a, a, uh, kind of a, a short story um, that I hack to include, you know, I'll write in such a way that I, when I'm on set, I already have a good idea of how it's going to look. So I'll embed some cues into my story about some, some shots that I want or things that I want to put emphasis on within the cinematography. I'll include some lines in there. Um, you know, just to feed the story along, but it gives yeah. me enough material that when I'm working with the actors on set, we have a baseline to go off of. Uh, but I'll write this sort of three page treatment that when I go into set, I know like the back of my hand and my, my job is to be the storyteller. That's really, that's really what my role is on set. We'll get together, everybody. We always start every day with what I call porn script theater. It's a table read. I bring together our cast and our crew and I'll tell the story. And when I tell the story, I'll riff in a few different directions about the characters. And, and again, giving the actors the context, the backstory. Who are these people? What have they done in the past that have led them up to this moment today? What are they like? How are they feeling? What are the other things that are not on this script that you need to know to put yourself in the mindsets of these characters? And then, you know, throughout the day, we just work sequence by sequence to flush it out. But my job is to really reinforce to the actor, how do you think he or she would feel in this moment based on everything that you know? And that's where I really encourage them to put themselves into their characters too. And like I said, if I know them, chances are I've set them up, like it's going to fit with who they actually are. And oftentimes if it is somebody I don't know very well, I don't know if it's kismet or if it's coincidence or what, but most of the time I'll get somebody and be like, how did you like, this seems really like something that happened to me. And that's <laughs> happened more often than not, which I find kind of wonderful. That's fun. Um, but yeah, so my job is to really like throughout each sequence, just kind of, you know, have a little, like kind of go in and, and talk to them about, well, in this moment, based on, on everything you guys have been through, how would that person react? And, mm. and what we get out of it is, an actual response. So it's not what I've read in a script or like what I'm going to try to remember. I'm just going to let out what I think I would do in that moment. And that's true, what creates the, yeah, yeah. those really believable sequences. Mm. And, you know, uh, and then we, you know, film them in a certain way that, you know, we get, we get kind of the sequence down and then we'll film it five, six different angles. So by the time you're filming your last angle, it is basically a, you know, they've got it. They've made their own yes. script right, right, right. by that point, you know, but really it's something that we, we craft together on the set. And you shoot chronologically the story. I, I try as much as possible. So there's going to be some times where, you know, especially if you're trying to get everything done within a day and you're shooting in the middle of winter when it's going to be right. yeah. dark at 4 30 PM, you know, there's all <laughs> sometimes some things you have to shuffle around, but it's always my preference to shoot chronologically, just again, to build up that character. Mm. So, uh, so they're good to go. As, as someone growing up who is, you know, um, you had said earlier, kind of entrenched in pop culture, 
Um, do you, is there a, is there like a genre or a, or a, or a, a type of story that you haven't told yet that you are just like aching to get done, you know, like, like maybe perhaps like a horror or like a sci-fi, <laughs> um, story that, that hasn't been told yet? Yeah. Uh, well, actually it's funny that you say that. Um, I have done, a, you know, in, in, in my career, I've done a, a sci-fi. So I did a, 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 basically my own black mirror type of series yes. called Darkly. Nice. Um, I've done, I, I'm, I like if it's, if it's gotta be authentic and emotional or really weird. Yeah. Like that's usually the spectrum <laughs> yeah. that I go into. Um, uh, but uh, I, I was thinking it would be amazing to do a, a film about one of the first crews that lands on Mars to inhabit the pod. Um, and the, they've brought along a, a, a horticulturalist because, of course, survival on Mars is going to be dependent on, you know, um, a tra- yeah, I guess like a, a, a taking the, the raw um, ingredients that are available and, and, and turning them into, you know, uh, terraforming. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that actually the most important role within that crew is the role of the person who's going to make the lettuce, who's actually going to grow the crop. (laughs) So I thought it would be really interesting if you had the story of, you know, the first successful landing in the pod, but they can't get any of the crops to grow. And at what point does it become Lord of, of the flies and they all start eating each other? I don't think that you could, that necessarily on on a budget or even within yeah. adult time, sure. but that would be a story I would love to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, but otherwise, no, I um, you know, I I uh, try to just let stories kind of organically get into the percolator, and um, I'm uh, about to do uh, the next studio I'm building is a, a studio in the gay market called Disruptive Films, uh, and um, I'm shooting our first feature film for that in June. And uh, it's a film called The Last Course. And it's a kind of a hybrid between uh, Boys Boys in the Band, that real classic uh, uh, gay film, Boys in the Band, and a little bit of Handmaid's Tale mixed into it. Um, But uh, but the the, the tagline is, if you can invite all the men you've ever had sex with in your life to the same dinner party, what would you do to them? Whoa, yeah, okay. I'm into this. That's kind of what's in my, you know, I I, got to get that one out off (laughs) my plate and out of my head. And then who knows what's the, maybe yeah. that Mars story. Who knows? <laughs> do you, do you think that we'll ever see a day where, where, you know, these, these types of films that, that, that you are creating will, will see, uh, you know, do you think we'll ever see a time where they will have a space to live on, on, you know, just household um, everyday streaming services like Netflix or Amazon prime or, or, um, you know, things like that. Like I, it, I've, I've never even thought about th- that as a possibility, but it, it seems, it seems, it seems possible. There's definitely a market there. Like you said, there was over 12 million views on YouTube of, of, um, uh, uh, what was it again? Uh, lesbian, teenage lesbian. Yeah. Teenage lesbian. I, like, do, um, do you think we'll see that that day ever? Or is the, is the stigma just too rife right now? Well, I, if I were to answer honestly right now, I would say we will see it, but we probably won't see it from the porn industry. So, right, you know, right. if you go on Netflix right now and you watch half of the content that's being created, it's, it's definitely goes far and beyond what got shut down from our Twitter or from our YouTube sure. account. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like they, they, they definitely, one of the things that's 
that has been very liberating for mainstream uh, content creators with these platforms is that, you know, they don't have the same um, MPAA ratings board that they have to submit everything through, right? Like each Mm. platform essentially has its own rating system. So, um, you know, you're able to push the boundaries a lot more. And when you look at Netflix content, you can see there's tons of sex in it. There's tons of, you know, um, adult subject matter in it. And people are really interested in sex. I mean, it's kind of up there with, with mm. all the things where we're interested in true crime and we're interested in sex, you know, like, yeah. you know. so, um, so the, uh, uh, I have no doubt they're going to continue to push that. And, you know, you see, I also wouldn't be surprised if you see more um, kind of mainstream content creators uh, being willing to step forward and to shoot something that is a bit more, um, it'll never be called pornographic because that is a bad word. It'll be called Mm. whatever, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that. Unfortunately, there is so much uh, stigma and hate against sex workers and against the adult industry. It is real. And, you know, there are some, very prominent uh, anti-porn organizations that, um, you know, it's sad because they'll, they'll cloak themselves under really, really valid, important subjects like anti-trafficking, which of course, you know, nobody wants that. Everybody wants to support anti-trafficking, but they kind of use that larger uh, umbrella to really try to destroy the lives of sex workers and to and to um, cast even more uh, stigma and ignorance uh, against the industry itself. So, like I said, even though the film I put out was absolutely no different than any other R-rated film, um, we one of the things I really wanted to do with Teenage Lesbian Perspective was to challenge: Could I get these into? you know, maybe not an A-list streaming platform, but, you know, there's many streaming platforms out there. And same thing with independent film festivals. Could I submit these films to the Mm -hmm. festival circuit and see what kind of response we got? And so we were able to get um, particularly Teenage Lesbian, I think because it has the LGBTQ Mm -hmm. uh, plus, um, you know, uh, kind of crossover subject matter. We were able to get that to place and even win some awards at some independent uh, film festivals. Uh, but we were working with a, an aggregator, which are essentially the brokers that, you know, as a producer, you you go to to connect with these platforms. And we were um, they took on our case and they shut us down before they ever pitched any of us because of just sorry, guys, just the name behind our company. So yeah. we can't do it. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and we, we've seen there's a few other companies in in our industry who are also making you know, really amazing stuff. Um, uh, Vixen Media Group is is the best example. So, you know, Kate and Cross and what she's making with Deeper and, you know, the films she's making mm-hmm. are really beautiful. And they, you know, have also kind of flirted with trying to get that crossover status. Um, but it's it's really hard when everybody wants to make you the enemy. Yeah. And, uh, and we definitely are made the enemy by a lot of people. So I think it'll come, but I don't think, unfortunately, it'll come from us. I think we'll probably just inspire it within porn uh and then uh, somebody will take the glory and, and yeah, um, yeah, make right. a hit netflix show yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's funny like you you brought up handmaid's tale and i just i'm 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 we're in a lockdown here in in nova scotia and, and uh me and my partner are, are binging the entire series and 
The other night there was a, it's, it's, I mean, it's so good. God, I feel so depressed every day. Um, But the, you know, there was a scene the other day that I was watching. I was going, wow, wow, this is, this is, this is sex. Like this Mm -hmm. is a really sexy, Mm -hmm. intense, intimate scene that they are shooting right now. And, and uh, yeah, that like the boundaries definitely have been pushed, but it's, it's, it's it's a bummer. It's a bummer to know that, you know, even even when making content that is that is relevant, important, uh and well done, still still just because of the name behind it, it, it mm-hmm. doesn't doesn't quite get the the attention and, and sort of platform that it, it truly deserves. So yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, Bree, I gotta say, this is uh this has been really fun to to get a glimpse into your world. Um I'm stoked about the work that you do and the work that you're gonna continue to do. Um, let our listeners know where they can find adult time, where they can find your work. Uh, where should they go? What should they do? Okay. Well, you can find all of my work. Probably the best thing to do is go to adulttime.com. It's a completely uh, safe for work public site. So feel free to access it uh, anytime, anywhere. Uh, we are a, a subscription uh, platform. So no different from a Netflix or a Hulu uh, in that you, uh, you know, pay one uh, low monthly price and you get access to over 60,000 episodes of content with, I think, some crazy amount of new releases every day, including my stuff. Um, And uh, if you want to find me uh, personally, uh, the best spot to go is my Instagram. Twitter is uh, a cesspool of negativity, so I'll occasionally retweet stuff on there. Uh, But I I do actually really like to show people not just my work, um, but also my life. And to, again, humanize the people within the sex industry. So, you know, like I mentioned at the top of the interview, I, you know, my wife and have two young kids, we do a lot of camping. And, and so it's going to be mostly boring stuff, but you can find me on Instagram at <laughs> uh, and uh, that's where I do most of my, mm. most of my posting. Cool. Well, thank you, Bree. This has been yeah, really, really Thank fun. you so much. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you guys. Uh, okay. Hi folks. We're back. And that was our conversation with Brie Mills. And I hope you loved it because we loved it. And, um, and we've got some really fun conversations coming up in the pipeline with a big announcement for big announcement next week's episode. So stay tuned for that. We can't wait to bring you the, uh, the news. Braddy's pregnant. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Um, all right. Um, uh, love you, bride. Love you, listeners. Love you, baby. Love you guys uh, and girls and folks. That's it for this week. Until next week. Go touch yourself. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.